Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. All eyes are on Minneapolis for the start of the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former police officer charged with killing George Floyd. Ann Milgram and I go deep on the trial on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Can we talk strategy? Yeah. On the video, I, I just want to sort of ask you this because my sense is that they showed it yesterday in the opening. They will not show it again, except maybe in pieces of it when they have bystanders, if they're trying to sort of understand where someone was standing or, or what was happening at the time, maybe they would show snippets. But I don't think they'll show the whole video again, if at all, until closing. It's a lot to see that. And I would worry about the jury feeling the same way that you know your wife and I, and I think a lot of others felt yesterday. But what, what do you think strategically is the right call? I don't know about that. I mean, part of what you and I were discussing before we started taping was that in the prosecution's opening statement, they made very clear that they have to take on fully, you know, head on the defenses. And that some of the defense is going to be about causation and what was the cause of death. And the prosecution spent a lot of time, by the way, pulling the sting, as we say, from various defenses, including what the cause of death was. Was it a cardiac event? Was it a heart attack of some sort that was brought on by the taking of drugs and wasn't brought on by, you know, the conduct and actions of Officer Chauvin, and to do that, to get to your question, they're going to call experts who will have to describe how it is that George Floyd died in real time. And the prosecutor said over and over again during the opening statement, what you saw there was not death from heart stoppage, you know, other than in the technical sense, that the person that George Floyd was crying out for help, he was talking, he was pleading, and that is not consistent, according to the prosecutors, with a cardiac event or an opioid overdose event. And it seems to me that of necessity, when they have the experts testifying as to the cause of death, they're going to want to play the videotape and have the experts narrate what, ha what happens on the videotape in the final moments of George Floyd's life. It's also true that in other kinds of cases where you don't have such disturbing footage, you know, I had a, I had a narcotics case once where there was a hotel room with video rigged up in it and it was a heroin deal. And for some reason, three of the defendants decided to go to trial anyway. You couldn't see the heroin, but you could see the suitcase and the interactions between the defendants and the undercover. And boy, I tried to play that videotape every chance I got. So it would imprint upon the jury the, the, the clarity of guilt. But this might be different. I think that's right, generally. I think it's, I think it's different here because, I, again, I think it's just so painful to watch it, I, I think you're right that that experts may talk through certain pieces of the video, but watching that almost nine and a half minutes uh, again, I mean, look, I actually think it'd be incredibly powerful in a closing argument just to have the jury sit for nine and a half minutes because you get a sense of how long that actually is. And th that's the other thing about rewatching the video is just how long it was and how many opportunities there were for something different to have been done. And that is a really powerful powerful thing. 
Do you want to talk through the the overall prosecution theory of the case? Like, I thought in many ways it was what I expected, and in a couple ways it, it wasn't exactly. It, it makes sense to me, but it wasn't exactly what I was thinking. How so? Well, the argument I think, as you just said, is really you're seeing it. You you understand what's happening here. It's it's an appeal to common sense that what you see on the video is it's real. You know, use your own eyes and and as you said, sort of taking the sting out of, you know, the defense is going to tell you it's drugs. It wasn't drugs. The defense is going to tell you it's a heart condition. It wasn't a heart condition. And just coming back time and time again to the video, to what people saw, all the ways in which that's corroborated by the statements made by bystanders, by the firefighter who's there and and wants wants to check the pulse from, uh, you know, the 911 call operator who testified yesterday. I thought this was very powerful saying that she actually called the, you know, she actually Actually called a sergeant who is a supervisor, essentially a 911 operator calling 911 because she's concerned about what she sees. And so, but I think a lot of it was just like, trust what you see and what people are telling you they saw and, and understand that that's what this is about. It was a very sort of, you know, common sense, like appealing to the, you know, eye on the prize, keep focused on, on what you know happened here. Yeah. Y- yes and no, right? As we were saying, there was a lot of this common sense you know, when the prosecutor said, how are we going to prove intent to you? Well, watch the videotape. And your eyes aren't lying, right? What you see is not false. On the other hand, there's a lot of discussion about expert testimony, expert testimony, and medical professionals, and forensic professionals. So there's going to be a lot of stuff, you know, by, by definition, if you're bringing in expert testimony to talk about causation and other things and training and everything else, that's not about common sense. That's about expert knowledge. I thought the prosecution on the common sense side of the ledger did a lot of very powerful things. And one of the things that I found most powerful, and you alluded to it a minute ago, was a turn of phrase. And I think you want to be careful about rhetorical you know, flashes in an opening statement on the part of the prosecutor. But that prosecutor said over and over again a thing that was jarring to me. And that is, you know, so-and-so, you know, witness A, called the cops on the cops this other witness called the cops on the cops. Even the 911 dispatcher called the, you know, did something she'd never done before, called the cops on the cops. I think the second thing that was very important that the prosecutor did was make the point that when you evaluate the use of force and what's appropriate in any given moment, that's one thing. But you have to reevaluate moment to moment what the proper use of force is. The defense is going to focus a lot on that first interaction, right? And there was a you know report that it was a large man and it was reported that he was drunk perhaps and there was a concern that a crime had been committed and we'll come to that in a moment and how overblown that was. But there might be jurors who, who buy the idea that as an initial matter in that first few seconds or minute that when George Floyd is brought to the ground, even though he's handcuffed, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that was bad, but maybe some jurors will buy that. And they don't even have to buy it for what it's worth. In a police case, they just have to decide that they're not going to substitute their judgment for the officers. Right. But in minute one, it might be appropriate or acceptable for some jurors in minute one. But in minute four? Yes. In minute six? In minute seven? And then very very powerfully, I think the prosecutor made the point that is obvious from the videotape, that at some point, George Floyd stops moving. And then the movement that you end up seeing is involuntary seizures because he stopped breathing. And, and I think that's a very important point for the, for the prosecutors to stick to. 
Yeah, I I think I think you make a really a really good point. And and we should say something that I think I think we've said before and that people know, but it is very difficult for people to go to trial against police officers. Police officers are not often convicted. These are among the hardest cases. And part of it is what I just said, that the officers get a lot of latitude as a rule. And this is not where I think this should be the conversation, but as a general sort of police misconduct question, officers get a lot of latitude because they're reacting in a moment And as long as they follow their training, they're sort of, officers often get the benefit of the doubt from juries. Um, Not always, but just, it's not easy to bring a case against a police officer for a number of reasons. And again, part of it is the officers making a split second judgment. And so I think your point is really well taken of, there's the initial takedown to the ground, which I, I think the prosecution will not necessarily concede was correct or needed to be done. But I would almost argue, even if even if that was fair and legitimate and you wouldn't, or, or wrong, but you might not second guess the officer, you're right to say, what about minute two? What about minute three, four, five, and, and on and on. The other point that the prosecution did, and I thought it was it was really interesting, is that they took on this question of the fact that Derek Chauvin was a police officer, that he was entrusted to do public good and to protect the public. And they held up this badge, you know, they held up the badge of the Minneapolis Police Department. They're going to call a lot of other officers to say that this was an unreasonable use of force. They're they're calling the training, the head of training, to basically say this isn't consistent with training. And they're sort of leaning into this argument of like, yeah, when you're a police officer, you actually, like your burden is to protect and serve. And you have a duty to others, and that duty wasn't violated. So I think they're trying to address the potential bias. Like bias isn't even the right word, but the potential feeling that members of the jury may have, which is being a police officer, which is true. Being a police officer is a dangerous job. They often take a lot of risk for members of the public. But then really saying, but that's not what this was about. In that vein, the prosecutor also said something else and used the phraseology that you just mentioned and said, I want to talk about what this case is not about. And I think essentially said, it's not about the cops generally. And the prosecution acknowledged that there are many, many, many good cops. In fact, kind of has to acknowledge that, you know, generally because that might be the view of some of the jurors, you don't want to alienate them, but also because they're going to be relying, as you said, on a lot of officer testimony. And so to paint with a broad brush, you know, police officers is bad uh, overall undermines your own case because you're going to want, you're going to want them to believe and and respect and trust what the good officers did and there were and there were many of them this is a big part of their case right they're calling all these other police officers they're calling the 911 operator and what they're trying to say is all these other folks knew the right thing and did the right thing this one police officer did not and so they're trying to and well, and be more also, than that one because there are a few other cops going to be on trial too yes but they're not on trial here and so you're right, they'll cast aspersions on them as well. But but I think they're really trying to push them out of what would be seen as like the right and correct use of force. What did you what do you think about this sort of idea of seven medical experts test? That's there's no question in my mind. Like it's you, a lot. You, it, yeah, you just said it. Like they're gonna they're gonna be a lot of sort of dueling medical experts. And you know, I've tried cases where like an expert testifies for the government and says XYZ. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. 
Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you.